is the first year since 1985 where I will have not been to see a baseball game in person. And that brings me down a bit. Uh, what is this? Are you on a similar streak, I should ask, before we kind of get into this topic? Hold on. I, I know this is a podcast, so you can see me, but everybody else can. I'm trying, my, my calculator in my head is working right now. No problem. Um, I think 2001 is probably my streak. So not, okay. not as long as yours, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> that, that's solid. It's almost two decades. Yeah. Uh, so how does it feel uh, to, to tune in every night, but no, you can't actually go and see it? Well, and you know, I, I had spent some time thinking about this recently, but I thought about it in the context of opening days. I'm not even sure I had like really properly thought out the fact that I won't go to a baseball game at all this year, though I obviously won't. Um, to be totally truthful with you, as much as I love going to Wrigley Field, I love watching baseball games on TV. Hmm. So I'm not going to say, I'm not distraught about it. it until now, you have made me <laughs> distraught about it by like making me consider this. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird. Like, uh, it's just, it's hard to, to fathom. Like, it's been a long time since I have not gone to a baseball game in a year. So while it's been, it's been a pleasure watching the games on TV, or I, it hasn't been as much of a pleasure lately as it was at the start of the year, but it's, it's a weird thing to fathom, yeah. Yeah, we get pleasure every three or four days, which, I mean, in the pandemic, you're still ahead of the game if that's, the, if that's what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know what? They're, they're still in first place, so I shouldn't complain <laughs> too much, but... That's that is that is what podcasting is for, isn't it? To complain. Absolutely, yes. I mean, if, if there were no complaining, we would have already said, "Hey, great to have you." Wrapping it up. So, I mean, I'd be happy to have that podcast too. To be honest, <laughs> I, I, no one invited me to podcasts in 2016, but I suspect I would have, you know, had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another week of this is great, man. <laughs> I never knew this was an option. But Joy, seventeen to nothing again. <laughs> <laughs> How about? Can't we let the Reds get within maybe seven runs just, you know, to keep it interesting past the fifth inning? Yeah, no, those were the, those were the days, but they're not our days right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, and honestly, I mean, and I've been kind of touching on this over the past couple months, really ever since the season started on the podcast, that uh, it, it's this weird kind of mental, I don't want to say struggle, but almost like a mental dichotomy in my own head, which I guess I'm dropping just to be an English major. but. Um, because on the Gotta one use hand, the degree like, for something. I'm sorry? <laughs> Got to use the degree for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because podcasting ain't paying the bills, that's for sure. <laughs> but because on the one hand, like as you say, you know, seeing the games on TV, and especially right now, uh, seeing the games on TV is such a wonderful thing to have for three hours out of every day or when you do our garbage pitches, sometimes four and a half. But on the other you're always reminded too, especially by those looming empty stands that regardless of having this, my favorite thing in the world back in my life, there's also something huge that's missing about it. And yeah, it, it to me, it's, it's part of the baseball experience that's essential is going to the park anywhere from like eight to 15 times a year. Uh, and just getting to immerse myself in that atmosphere, experience that and, God willing, sing Go Cubs Go maybe 10 times out of 15. But either way, just having that constant in my life and, and kind of having that part of it pulled out is, is still the very 2020-ness of what's turning out to be at least a kind of entertaining baseball season. 
Well, and we can't sing anymore, remember, because that'll make the projectiles go a little further than just normal <laughs> talking. So we can just read the lyrics to go, Cubs go. Yes, um, read them in I, morose Leonard Cohen style. Yes. <laughs> Baseball uh, season's underway. Oh, God. You better get ready for a brand new day. Yeah, man, I'm scary good at that. I'll just whisper it instead. How about that? Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, not to get too... Oh, I don't want to get too away from baseball. And if I get too away from baseball, you can just cut the segment. Um, it's a podcast. But, Go ahead. But, you know, it, we don't, nothing gets to feel normal these days. Like, I agree with you that it is a wonderful distraction to have baseball on. Like, I am so thrilled that baseball is on because for those last, you know, those last weeks and months before it was back, it was hard to find things to, to feel anything close to normalcy about i think baseball has been one of the things that feels the most normal of everything but you still have those fans or the 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 stands without fans just staring at you anytime there's a home run the bleachers are just staring at you or i should say the advertisements in the bleachers are staring at you. Uh, nothing gets to feel normal these days and baseball is no exception right uh and i wrote something for baseball prospectus about a month or two before they got it started again that was kind of on on that thought that uh yeah bringing the game back is going to be something that's happy and we all need something that makes us happy but the idea especially right now of normalcy our idea of normalcy is kind of what led us into this in the first place so we've got to kind of as a people and as a society get beyond wanting that normalcy back again and really get more in the mindset of we got to work to make sure we don't ever let this happen again. And part of that means like radical empathy and caring about each other and things that weren't normal before this all went down. So yeah, I, I guess to, to your thoughts that, uh, I mean, yeah, happiness is, is good and necessary, but, uh, but to me, yeah, normalcy is a bit of a failure, honestly, if, if that's all we're going back to. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I don't, I don't remember who said this quote. It sounds like something Joey Votto would say, but that maybe that's just because I, I saw him just a minute ago. Um, but it was something along the lines of sports are a reward for a, a functioning society. That's uh, Sean Doolittle. Yeah. Sean Doolittle. Of course yeah, it was I mean, Sean Doolittle. Similarly, similarly woke, intelligent guy who's also into rights for gays and minorities. So yeah, I could see how you could confuse him. Yeah, no, I mean, it, yeah, they, they, they are two peas in the pod, but uh, I mean, I feel strongly that that's the case and we get, we get something like the sports we're used to. We get a close enough approximation, but we still have so many players opted out. We still have empty stands. We still have not the sports we're, we're supposed to have because we, we haven't earned them back yet. Um, right. right. It, and that's uh, on us. Yeah. That, well, and I think, I mean, that's on us as citizens. It's also obviously on our leadership. Um, yep. And I think it's just, you know, it, Again, we we don't get to feel normal. Like we we have we are reaping what we sow here. Yes, and uh, yeah. So on on that cheery note, let's start the podcast, eh? Let's uh, jump yes. right into it. This <laughs> go is, Cubs! Go Cubs! Indeed. Yes, the decidedly not normal three strikes you're out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number forty three, the Dennis Eckersley episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Baseball Prospectus, Outsports, and decidedly not normal stand-up comedian in the sense that stand-up comedy is being held occasionally in parks and nowhere else these days. So that's how that world is completely upended and, and is, is completely different. The other voice you're hearing on the other side of this particular podcast is officially now repeat guest and friend of the pod, Ryan Tomir, 
writer for Cubs Insider and fellow member of Cubs Gay Twitter. Ryan, thanks for joining me again, my good man. It's nice to be here with the other half of Cubs Gay Twitter. <laughs> yes. yes, there are both of us, indeed. Yeah. Is it, does the hashtag sound better, Cubs Gay Twitter or Gay Cubs Twitter off the top of your I head? think I would go with Gay Cubs Twitter, not to throw your original suggestion under the bus, but I feel like it flows just slightly better off the tongue. No problem. Yeah, I, I will defer to literally any other gay in the world when it comes to style. So, yeah, that's, I, I Gay Cubs Twitter is perfectly fine with me. And, and I, uh, I, I apologize. There are literally dozens of us, so I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't throw the others under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and literally any of those dozens, you want to contact me and make yourselves aware. We can talk on this thing too at some point. So uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess do we start out by apologizing to everyone for being attracted to Christian Yelich at one point? Oh God, I forgot. Was that you too? I thought that was just me. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, uh, you you posted it at one point, and I was like, yeah, kind of big same, uh, but. At least he's bad now, you know? At least we've got that going for us. Like, he did, he, it also makes him feel a little more obtainable, which I don't like that necessarily. <laughs> I feel like I, I need to stop digging. <laughs> it's weird. Like, if, if you saw an ops under 800 in Grinder, you would feel better about swiping right on him? You know, I've never, say, I've never seen anyone post their OPS in Grinder. <laughs> I, I mean, that would be an immediate swipe right for me if, if I saw the advanced stats. Honestly, if I saw pitcher wins on Twitter, I'd give him the swipe right just for, just for the sake of, yeah, good on you for at least yeah, knowing why not? Uh, so let's uh, dive into our decidedly not normal, but like, again, fun every three or four days team. Uh, so... The U Darvish and Jason Hayward contracts are suddenly good. Is, is that safe to say at this point for the time being? Uh, yes, I yeah. think so. If I say it, it it's not going to ruin it, right? <laughs> it's a secret. You got to make it manifest. Well, and especially, I will say, especially U Darvish, like we are on year one and a half of this production. Like, this is not just a strike short or strike shortened pandemic shortened season <laughs> fluke. Like this is who he has been for better parts of 2019 and 2020. Like I am fully a believer. I, I thought the contract was a bargain when they signed it. I panicked a little bit when everybody else did, but it looks like we saw an elite pitcher who had an injury in the first year of his contract and is now resumed being an elite pitcher. Like he has been excellent. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, a, a pandemic shortened year with a strike shortened year sounds like Rob Manfred's dream come true, honestly. No kidding. Like, how can we, how can we get rid of all the baseball? <laughs> yeah, give him enough time. Give him, give him two years and we'll probably see that happening. But, but yeah, it, in terms of uh, Darvish's recovery, and even though we're recording this on Wednesday night where he gave up three in the first to the Reds and kind of looked a little wobbly command-wise, that also had the sense of, you know, you probably can't continue this run that he was on from almost the, the, the start of the year up till now. So it, it honestly felt more just like, okay, this is probably the, the small step back that every good pitcher still occasionally takes. Yeah. Well, and I know we're not, you know, we're not providing live commentary of the game, but like it's, it's a bad outing or it's a bad start. He's actually been pretty good in the inning sense. And the reality, like, yeah, you're going to have a hiccup like this sometimes. And unlike some of his compatriots on the Cubs staff, um, I'm not trying to throw under the bus. I'm just stating facts. Like, he, he has not gotten blown up. Like, the Cubs are st- – he's kept the Cubs in this game, and this has 
worst outing of the season outside of the first game. Yeah. Like if he ends up going five or six innings, giving up free runs, like, I don't know, that, that's going to happen sometimes. And especially in the stretch where they're playing, what is it, 14 games in 13 days? And where he knows that leading into this, they had the doubleheader with St. Louis where they had to burn the entire bullpen almost in a day. And you have John Lester going short the game after that. That, yeah, it's, it's still valuable for him to eat up those five or six, especially now, and prevent us from having to go to someone like a Rowan Wick, maybe to eat an inning in a situation where you'd much rather just save him for a much closer contest the next day. Well, and that's that there's so many things to like about Darvish's season. Like he's striking out like 11 and a half per nine. He's walking just over one. Like all the numbers are eye popping. He's throwing his 17 pitches or whatever it is. Um, But honestly, my favorite stat for him and one that I didn't necessarily expect to see is just that he's gone six or seven innings. I want to say in every single start, but the first one, like, I did not. I expected him to be more of a Jake Arrieta type, where you're getting good quality for five or six innings, and you just kind of take that. I didn't expect him to be someone who's going seven innings, six innings every single start. It's been the best part of the season, I think. Yeah, and especially because one of the knocks on him when they signed that deal was that even when he's going well in past years, he would still be, as, as you referenced with the Arrieta type, someone who, because he throws a lot of strikeouts, and up until the past year or so included a lot of walks along with that he would routinely be in the hundreds in his pitch counts by the middle of the fifth sometimes so you'd have to use bullpen for almost half the game which for this year's Cubs like anytime David Ross has to go to that pen and it's before the seventh inning I figure it's going to be two hours to play the last four innings and every single time the Cubs are on defense is just going to be the most nerve-wracking thing out of like maybe like watching a Stanley Kubrick Clockwork Orange Film Festival well, I don't think you're wrong, and I, I think this says more about where the lineup is than anything about the bullpen. I'm not so sure that I don't feel a little bit better about where the bullpen is right now than I do about the Cubs' offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let's dig into that, too, because um, honestly, the way in an ideal world, and just looking at the names, the way that the lineup sets up, the top of the Cubs' order in particular should be beastly to deal with when you've got... Ian Happ leading off, followed by, in, in a perfect world, Bryant, Rizzo, Javi. Like, that should be one where practically every other game, they're scoring in the first inning. And yet, it feels like so many games this year, we've had to emerge at the end of it and think, oh, thank God the bottom of the order showed up today because we're, they're, they're getting, I mean, you, you know as well as I do that, that Javi and Bryant have been struggling pretty much from the start of the year. Uh, Rizzo, unfortunately, over the past maybe week or so, uh, is down to, I think, about a 210 batting average at this point, which batting average we know, not the be-all, end-all, and Rizzo makes up for it with walks and hit-by-pitches a bit. But his ops is now kind of dipping into the mid-750s, so he's starting to feel it too. And at, at this point, honestly, it feels kind of lucky that they're still in first place by three games, given that they're getting that kind of production from every single big name that you counted on heading into this year. Yeah. Well, and it's just a hard puzzle to pull apart because some of, some of the guys who have struggled at various points throughout this year, including Rizzo lately, I think Wilson Contreras for large stretches, they're not as much now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positive stuff you can pull. Like Anthony is hitting the ball really hard. He's walking like, there's a lot that makes you think, oh, he's getting unlucky. 
Wilson Contreras is barreling the ball at like career high rates. Um, there's there's more problems in his game, but there's still stuff to make you think, oh, he's going to rebound. He has the highest expected Woba of his career right now. But and over over the past, I'd say week and a half or so, his his regular numbers have started to catch up with those expected numbers. That he's jumped about fifty points in average, uh, pretty much since that maybe Pittsburgh series, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he probably won't have time to catch up to his expected numbers just mm-hmm. because the season is so short. But, yeah, you can see that he's trending there. You can see that R- there's a gap between where Rizzo should be and where he is. Mm-hmm. But with ha- with Javi especially, who I'm probably a little more concerned about than Chris Bryant because I think Chris Bryant's issues, I, I think, likely stem from injury. But with Javi, like, there's nothing that suggests that he's not – getting the results he deserves, which is really alarming. Um, He's swinging through pitches in the zone at such an astronomically high rate. Um, He's When he gets up there, it feels like he is guessing on every pitch in a way that I just – I didn't think we'd see this from him. Um, It's it's a reversion to 2014 hobby in in a lot of ways, Uh, and it's it's not a welcome one either, unfortunately, given that – he now means so much more to the Cubs' offensive attack than he did in that year, or certainly 2015, even. Um, and I've got I've, I've got kind of a weird theory about Hobby that's actually going to be part of a piece that I uh, that's getting published on Baseball Prospectus this week. Yeah. And it I, I'm not saying that this is by any means the big reason why he's hitting the way he is, but I think it's got to be kind of contributing to it because he's also one of the only players, as far as I know, who has admitted to the media that he's noticed how it feels to play in front of empty stands and how he's got to do the work himself to kind of get himself game ready where usually he has, he can kind of feed off the energy of what the people give him uh, in a way that like Sammy Sosa used to back in the day, for instance. Uh, And I get the sense that whatever struggles that kind of led into this were really exacerbated by the fact that He's feeling a lot of that baseball melancholy that we touched on at the start of the podcast, where there's just, unfortunately, because of 2020, there's nothing there that's, that's outside of himself that can kind of give him that energy, that inspiration. And we can, you know, throw out all kinds of meatball talk about, well, he's getting paid big money to show up in big situations. But the fact of the matter is, there's nothing more human in the world than to look at those empty stands and think, God, oh, Jesus, it's 2020 even for one of the best players and one of the most dynamic players in the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it would be hard not to feel that way. I've never had a crowd cheering for me, but I can imagine, like, I like when people say good things about me. So I can imagine <laughs> that having, having the, you know, losing that would be a lot. And another thing he talked about recently was the, the lack of in-game video that because of the Astros and the Red Sox cheating scandals, mm-hmm. those teams are allowed to use in-game video right now. And he's talked about being someone who relies on that a lot. So it's, there's not just one, but a couple of factors that you can point to like, and ask, is this, is this what's causing him to look like a totally different hitter than he Absolutely. has in the last several years that's making him look like 2014 Javi, like you said? Absolutely. And it's, it's something where, he takes that kind of external weirdness already that's already present. And now you're also taking away something that in previous years was kind of a comfort for him that maybe even if he had a batter at batter two to start the game, he could look at that video and figure out what he needs to do to fix it for his last two. And now that's gone. So yeah, there's a whole lot that he had kind of grown 
comfortable with in terms of what his identity as a major league baseball player was that's now completely gone. And what I like best about pulling these two things together is that it concludes that the Houston Astros are the 2020 of baseball teams. That sounds, that sounds like a good theory to me. And frankly, like you brought up a couple of things just in the early part of our talk that like for me underscore some of the things that are wrong with baseball right now, both that all teams are getting punished for the sins of the Astros and to, to an extent, the Red Sox. And when we talk about the Cubs past schedule right now, that the Cubs are getting punished for the Cardinals going to casinos um, and the, the Cubs and all the other teams are having to jam pack their schedules to accommodate the Cardinals coming back into the league. Um, it's just, it, it's just a lot of things that feel wrong with baseball right now. Yeah. And, and I think both of those get at something and a, deep, a little deep, bit of a deeper issue in that, both in terms of the way Houston Astros abused the replay system and the way the Cardinals kind of abused the trust of everybody by going off to the casino and then infecting half of their team with, uh, with the coronavirus. Baseball kind of throws out all these grand plans for, for events like uh, either advanced technology like replay or having to deal with a global pandemic right now. But in both instances, they don't really play out in their minds the after effects of, of their plans. Like when you institute replay and you're overseeing a game where the most competitive people on the face of the earth are all trying to beat each other and you don't think eventually someone is going to use that for their own nefarious purposes or you institute all of these, uh, you know, this giant booklet of restrictions that each team is supposed to abide by, but you don't really assign anybody to follow them or rely on teams to be on the honor system. Again, it's like you have all of these ideas, you're implementing all these new ideas, but you're really half-assing both of them because you're not considering what the possible consequences of players either using them or going against them will be. It's like Rob Manfred is is kind of giving off this sense of, of faux leadership where he, yes, he is, kind of trying to guide the game through or trying to see it through changes, but he doesn't want to do all the work in terms of anticipating what the consequences of his decisions and actions will be. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's very easy to build the house of cards. It's hard to make it stay standing. And with things like COVID, the, the COVID protocols, like they sound great, but if you have no enforcement mechanism, then we get what we got in the early part of the season. And I'm thankful that, you know, things seem have, clearly level out like positivity rates in major league baseball are extremely low um the experiment seems to have righted itself but that wasn't because of foresight that was because of quick reaction but it could have easily gone a different way right and and even though things have leveled out and we haven't had a serious team-wide outbreak in a while the fact of the matter is we already have dozens of major league baseball players who have been exposed and uh, even though a lot of them are probably back and on the field at this point and are testing negative, we have no idea what the long-term ramifications of being exposed to COVID-19 is. Like this is something we're going to find out in five or 10 years down the road. And we just got to, at this point, we unfortunately just have to hope that it's not going to have any adverse effects on any of their health. But we know people like Eduardo Rodriguez, for instance, have had heart inflammation because of COVID-19. So that's just a frightening thing that, that the inability to anticipate that, major league players would try to be major league players during a season it has rot yeah who would have thought that 
people that are the 21 year olds were going to break yeah. these protocols if you didn't give them an enforcement mechanism. Yeah, especially in, in states that are being governed like Missouri and Florida have been since the pandemic. But yeah, back to leadership. So, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, um, I also want to throw kind of getting back to the Cubs offense, speaking of, well, speaking of pandemics is a terrible transition, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh, but this is something that uh, watching the struggles of, of uh, Baez and Rizzo and Bryant, and th- this might be a terrible theory, so feel free to tell me it is, but it's something that's been kind of going through my head that most of these guys are from the generation of young players that got called up just before kind of baseball as a whole changed in terms of pitch construction and a lot of what was written about in the MVP machine, like we talked about last time when you yeah. were on the podcast. And Rizzo and Bryant in particular, and Schwarber, I think, to a great extent, too, were raised from an era where you worked the count. Like, that was your number one priority. You saw a lot of pitches. And right now, the Cubs are seeing the most pitches of any team in baseball. And you tried to get into those advantageous 3-1, 2-0 hitters counts and then get something to drive. But we're currently playing in an era where, as Jim Deshays frequently says on Cubs telecasts, you don't see fastballs on 3-0 or 2-0, or 3-1 or 2-0 hardly anymore. And we're living in an era now where pitchers try to get you out with spin instead of, instead of speed. And I'm wondering, is this the time where the Cubs hitting philosophy as a whole needs to shift a little bit, maybe from seeing a ton of pitches and working the counts like that to maybe hunting hittable pitches earlier in the counts if you see them and just hoping not to miss when you get them? To an extent, I think absolutely. I, I, there's, a hundred percent a place for your Anthony Rizzo's, your Kyle Schwarber's in the lineup. And and I think Anthony Rizzo is an exception because he does so many things. Well, I don't want to necessarily yeah. lump him in there, but you can't have a 2004 Oakland A's lineup out there right now. And it feels like that's exactly what they're doing is that they're trying to be the early 2000s yeah. Oakland A's. Um, and it's just not going to work right now. And, and frankly, that's been my biggest problem with the Cubs for some time is that my biggest fear is that they're the last great team from the last era Mm -hmm. and that they are merely a pretty good team in this era that is on its way down. Uh, But, but more than anything, what they need is some, some diversity in their lineup. And to an extent they had that in 2016, like Dexter Fowler, Ben Zobrist, but God forbid Addison Russell, when he (laughs) was going, brought different skills to the lineup. And right now this lineup seems that a lot more homogeneous. Like there's just not a lot of diversity in skill set. And as a result, it seems like we're seeing almost the same thing every at the hat. Yeah. And homogeneous is also an impressive word and you're not even an English major. So well done, good sir. Huh. But, uh, and I think that's one of the things that having a healthy, again, Jason Hayward, uh, who's yes. performing at this level brings to them because he at his best uh, is kind of that Ben Zobrist guy where his game is contact and line drives and occasional power and someone who uh, in a really good day could foul off a bunch of pitches and see deep counts just that way. Um, and I think going forward from this in terms of diversity, I think Nico Horner is going to be a huge player uh, to rely on because the kind of, the kind of offensive approach he has is somebody that you don't see anywhere other than when Hayward is going at his best in this lineup, where he will barrel up the ball, 
in a number of places you can pitch it at. And he's the kind of guy who is very much contact first and very, as Kevin McCaffrey has said on this podcast before, very 2015 Royals. And if the Cubs could get maybe three or four, maybe, maybe leave it at three, because uh, you want a little more power for the most part than 20, 2015 Royals. But if you could have guys like that to break up the brigade of uh, Schwarbers and Bryants and Hobby when he's struggling, that is something that at least pitchers have to adjust their game to. And, and if they can get that, that's the thing is, can they develop Horner into somebody like that? Because he could either be the 2015 Royals or he could be Albert Almora. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you that Nico Horner is like a perfect example of the kind of player they need a little more of. And as you said, not to replace everybody in the lineup, but to provide a different look than everybody else in the lineup. Because even in Hap, who, you know, is a very legitimate MVP candidate this year, like he is the best possible version of the only hitter the Cubs have. And then we have other guys who are the worst possible version (laughs) the Cubs have. Um, But the value of bringing a different look, I think can't be measured by, you know, by a lot of our traditional baseball stats and advanced baseball stats. Like that's, that's the thing. If they were to take steps to replace, say they replace a Kyle Schwarber um, with somebody, maybe with a different skill set, it could very well be that they replace him with somebody who has maybe a lower wins of the replacement or a lower WRC plus, but who still ends up being more, more more impactful in a way that can't quite be measured by numbers. Um, and I think that's something that they really should be prioritizing going forward. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, in terms of numbers that can measure that kind of thing, and I kind of hinted at this maybe 10 minutes ago, but something that I'm occasionally on about, which is which could get me kicked out of the entire baseball nerd community at this point, I don't hate batting average. I like batting average. Like, I understand it's not the best offensive stat, and I understand where its weaknesses come from. But especially now in an era where many teams are hitting 230 or under, if you get some high BABIP hitters, it can make such a difference. I think, like, a guy like Tim Anderson on the White Sox makes a huge difference for their offensive attack in terms of someone that right away you can't pitch to any part of the strike zone comfortably without thinking he might be able to square this up and get a hit. And then I've got all the big guys coming up after him and having somebody like that on the Cubs interspersed or even in front of a bunch of those, those big bats would make a gigantic difference. A hundred percent. And I think you said it like on base percentage is probably the single most important offensive stat, but the reality is you don't want a lineup of, guys hitting only 215 because you're not unless the bases are loaded a walk is never going to score a run Um, (laughs) a single can so it is more valuable well with the with the cubs if the bases are loaded they're not scoring any runs we know that that's that's true like if the bases are loaded it can be literally anybody up if they have a cubs (laughs) uniform on no one's crossing the plate You, you could combine the dna of ernie banks ryan sandberg ron santo and frank chance and you'd still have nothing up there it's, Throw Barry Bonds on there, too. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's, uh, somehow, they, if, if they had Barry Bonds on this year's Cubs, he would be intentionally walked with the bases loaded, and they still wouldn't score in well, any way. And I will say, and I, I bet this is something you're going to get to, but that's one of the most frustrating things about the way they have constructed the lineup this year. Um, and I will say, David Ross didn't annoy me at all until the last week and a half or so. 
and now he's really <laughs> um, like the insistence on refusing to accept reality of where KD and Javier Baez are right now and move them down the lineup a little bit to give guys who are more productive a chance to be more productive at the top of the lineup. It's, it's crazy to me in a situation where the Cubs are only a few games up they're depending on the results tonight. I, I think they may be a game back of the Cardinals in the last column, which I realize the Cardinals have a grueling schedule the rest of the way, but the division is, close to tide like this is not 2016 where you can just you know wait around and wait for things to fall into place the way you think they should you have to win games um and i feel like they're really costing themselves by stacking the lineup with guys who are hitting 190 190 whatever and chris bryan and javier Baez. you you mean you in a perfect world you don't want a 62 wrc plus hitter betting cleanup that that's something they shouldn't be aiming for it's just my opinion, Ken, you know? <laughs> I, I, no, one's, nerds. no one's called me Mr. Manager anytime recently, but <laughs> if I was. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, the guy that they do call Mr. Manager, I, I guess one of the things we're learning from this is that, yeah, he's really ride or die with the guys that he views as his core, which on the one hand, I guess it's if you're part of that core, it's good to know that when you have your struggles, even as deep as they've struggled, he's going to have your back. And certainly... That's something that Joe Madden uh, was renowned for. So continuing that, I, I could certainly see being good in terms of keeping clubhouse morale high. But yeah, when you've got guys who, as you've rightly pointed out, are crying out to be dropped out of the prime power spots of the lineup, and you just keep sending them back out there night after night after night, it really, it, you, you just wonder, how do you expect something different to happen? Like, how do you expect him to just show up uh, when he's over two thirds of the season is gone and he's proven to you that he's not. Now I I will ask you this. Do you you think that doing this in a 60 game season has some effect on this where he, where Ross would kind of figure that just because it's short and random that he doesn't have the time to drop them and have them find themselves and get them back up to their normal position playing at their best again. Yeah. I I think that could have something to do with it. And I, I, I think, honestly, part of it is there might just be figuring that if KB and Javi aren't, if they're going to keep being 180 hitters and uh, you know w, 50 WRC plus hitters, then they're probably not going to win anything anyway. Like they, the thinking could be like, we need to get them going or it doesn't matter. I just don't like that thinking because in, the reality is in this weird playoff format, it's, it's not true like they could get going in the same way they did when they started out 13 and 3 and you know just stumble into the world series i don't it's not something i would bet on but it's possible even without kb and javi so i think they really need to maximize their chances and what what david ross said last week or uh, during the cardinal series about not prioritizing winning the division kind of irked me a bit to be honest because mm. the reality is like if you get that second NL central spot, you're probably paying, playing a team like Philadelphia or San Diego as opposed to Miami or maybe Milwaukee. And I, I know who I would rather face. Yeah. Uh, that, that little moment kind of stuck out to me too, just because it, it kind of went against so much of what David Ross has been ever since he started that, that mentality of uh, I don't care what's going on the rest of the year. If, if they're giving out a trophy, I want it. Exactly. Uh, as, as, and you know, you could make the argument that you still could get the trophy by finishing second or even third, 
in some divisions this year. But uh, yeah, the, the obviously easier way to get the trophy is to play your damn best and finish in first. And yeah, that, 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 that runs counter to the whole idea. Well, and I've said this many times, the reality is this has not been a very fun year for me personally, and I deserve to see the Cubs win the division. And it really no. bothers me that David Ross is not prioritizing that. <laughs> it, uh, again, it, the whole thing, yeah, it's, it's, he, he could be uplifting you right now, but, uh, but no. He, he's choosing not to, and it, it yeah. just, I, I find it a really strange choice, to be honest. That, that really choosing to carry out personal vendettas against individual members of gay Cubs Twitter Really, really, honestly, that's homophobic, David Ross, is, is what we're saying at this point. It is what it is. You said it, and I'm not yeah, going to say yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, breaking, we're breaking out the heavy, heavy hitters right now. So uh, in regards to the pitching staff as well, uh, we've got essentially you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks being – Kyle Hendricks being – having a typical Hendricks year, only in a shortened year it might not feel as good because every year it seems he'll have that little stretch where it's like his timing is messed up, and his command might not be precise, and he gets hit around a bit, and then he figures it out a few starts later and destroys for a couple of months. Only mm-hmm. he's now figured it out again with three weeks left in the season. But nonetheless, it's Kyle Hendricks being Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, it's After, Kyle Hendricks doing Kyle Hendricks things. Yes. It's, it's, he's going to eventually figure it out and never smile. That's, that's the two things you can count on from him. And then after that is uh, John Lester desperately trying to find – Anything that could get him to the end of the season. Uh, Alec Mills pitching well when the wind is blowing in at 50 miles an hour and then otherwise, eh. And then, uh, and then who knows? And isn't this really the end result of what happens when you have two consecutive off-seasons where management essentially opts out of improving the team? Yeah, that's certainly a part of it. It's also, you know, just as much the faults of management that they have not been able to develop a pitching infrastructure that can get, you know, any worthwhile pitchers through the system and into the rotation. Like we're not asking for them to develop an ace. There doesn't need to be a homegrown U Darvish, but it's amazing that there isn't a homegrown like number four starter or anything to that effect. And I know that as I, I don't know if you're, I'll put you on the spot. Are you happy or sad that we're, we don't have to watch Jose Quintana this year? <laughs> oh God. Oh man. I mean, it, you know, they, they need another starter, but yeah. Uh, the second we can be finished with Mr. Nibbles, I will be so, so happy. Uh, there, there's yeah. very little more joyless than watching a Jose Quintana start, even when it goes okay. <laughs> it really is. Cause it, cause it always feels like even when it's going well, we know that he's got that big third time through the order penalty coming up. And, and even this year, that, uh, he had the two great appearances out of the bullpen, but it was still a reminder that he could only give you two and maybe three competent innings at most. And every time, it, it's not fair to him because he didn't control this part, but every time he falls short in that way, all I think of is what they gave up to get him. And mm-hmm. I just get mad. And it's, it's mean to take it out on him, but nonetheless, it's, I really just want the lesson to be learned that if you're giving up a prospect the caliber of Eloy and someone who throws 100 mile an hour like Dylan Cease in an organization that is struggling as much as you said to develop pitching, you've got to be damn sure the guy you're getting in is what you thought and not the mediocrity that really he was the season of 2017 leading up to that trade and that he's been ever since the Cubs acquired him. 
Yeah, they didn't they didn't give up quite the Chris Sale package, but they no. gave up way closer than you would like to the Chris Sale package when for a guy who is not Chris Sale. Yeah. Um I I wish him luck wherever he goes. Yeah, oh yeah. He, he, he seems a good guy. Like it's it's not like a piece of shit like Aurelis Chapman by any means. Uh but and I understand that in contention years you are going to have trades that are overpays, and I get that. Uh mm-hmm. But if you're going to overpay, please make it somebody worth overpaying for. That, that's really all I ask. And, and a lot of people were excited at, at the time that trade was made. And a lot of my friends were, a lot of people who I trust to be intelligent baseball people. But if the reason you're getting excited is because the stats you're citing are agreeing with Hawk Harrelson's assessment of someone, you might need to reevaluate the stats. Oh no, that's a brutal way to put it. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, truth bombs are sometimes hard to take. Uh, no kidding. I, I I am a Jose Quintana hater hipster. I was I was out ahead of this before everybody else, and I'm not letting anyone forget from an organization and a GM who I generally trust in everything everything they do too. So it's like this one move pisses me off at him, but I can't stay mad. Certainly, even though. Uh, even though it it made them worse and we're kind of in a position where, as you've been talking about, we're trying to catch up to what present day baseball is now. Uh, I still overall have confidence in them. It's not like it's it's shaken my, my uh, sense of Theo's competence by any means. Well, uh, I don't know. That's one where I wish that I could say the same. I'm not going to say I don't have confidence in this front office, but I do feel to a large extent this front office has been left behind. Um, and I, an example I'll constantly bring up with people is David Bodie, um, who is an awesome asset for the Cubs to have. Like I think people under, underestimate how good an asset David Bodie is. But the problem is a team like the Dodgers, um, they they just like every guy they call up is David Bodie. Like David Bodie is the floor for their prospects that make the big league. Um, that's how their system works. David, David Bodie is the only non first round pick of the Cubs to find any success at all. And basically under this regime. And it's not like every first round pick has flourished either, because Albert Almora is doing whatever Albert Almora is doing in South Bend after his millionth chance um, to succeed at the big league level. It's just, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like in the same way we felt in 2011, 2012, 2013, those sort of fun, let's watch the minor leagues years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that's anywhere in sight. There's a lot of stuff to be excited about in the minor league system, but it doesn't feel like this front office can get back on the level of mm-hmm. your Dodgers or your Yankees or your Houston Astros cheating aside. Um, I wish I could say I thought they had that potential still, but I'm not sure I do. Hmm. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I admit that I kind of grade them on somewhat of a curve because yeah, we talk about that Bodie is the only non first round pick who's made any kind of impact at the big league level. And they have missed with guys like Almora, but uh, after enduring 30 plus years of Jim Hendry and Jim Fry and (laughs) an endless parade of Corey Patterson's followed by Ty Griffin's, followed by, God, Eric Patterson, followed by Felix Pies. I mean, for one thing, I will take this, even, even as frustrating as it gets sometimes. Yes. And also, I think one of the things about this front office is Theo's motto, as far as I know, as an organization, is still, we don't know shit. And they've had it kind of thrown in their face over the past couple of years, exactly 
how much shit they don't know to kind of run the metaphor into the ground like a bad English major. But I think they also have proven themselves capable of recognizing when they might have a weakness and at least making an effort to pivot to kind of catch up to the rest of baseball and make that weakness, if not a strength, at least bring them closer to on par with, with teams like the Dodgers or the pre-cheating Astros in, in the upper echelon of the game. I wonder just because we know that they're making these changes from an organization level, from the ground up in terms, we know that they've changed a lot of their, their front office uh, brought in a lot of new brain trust in terms of uh, directors of pitching, directors of hitting and change people like Jason McLeod's job titles. And I wonder, can you accelerate the catching up process? Or is that something where like, like anything with a minor league re- rebuild, you might have to wait a couple years until it gets to the level of everyone else. And those, prospects who start kind of with these new procedures kind of filter the way up to the big leagues. I I think it's the latter. Um, And I think that's one of the real losses for the Cubs um, in this season is that they did finally take some steps to try to catch up. They really brought in a lot of analytically inclined, like player development personnel in the off season. And you just haven't, gotten to see that take effect in the way that it would like the majority of the minor league system is not even playing baseball um so yeah i think it was going to be slow going from the get-go and it's probably been delayed a little bit more now so yeah it's a it's a it's a real bummer (laughs) yeah and and the rickets just fired a bunch of scouting and player development people because of the because uh, of COVID, so yeah, I, uh, I, knew that, I knew that that had happened. I didn't want I didn't want to speak confidently about it because I I, I admit I didn't read beyond the headline, but yeah. I, I assume that probably some of the analytically inclined staff that they've brought in is now back out, which is just unfortunate and it's sad, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So now it's not just David Ross; it's the entire Cubs ownership that's coming after you, Ryan Tamir, and bringing <laughs> you down. That's just that's just my life these days, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's, let's end this on a uh, slightly more upbeat note because, uh, again, still first place. Still baseball. Yeah. Still the Cubs. Yeah. Still the guys we love on the field and guys who are occasionally still entertaining. Um, and one thing that I wanted to bring up at the end of this uh, that's kind of – it's a little bit of rumbling that's going around Cub Twitter that I like a lot. And it was started up – or at least the first place I saw it was by – uh, our colleague Danny Rocket, who goes by San Ranto on Twitter, um, and it's the Retire 53 movement, specifically about retiring the number 53 in honor of Buck O'Neill, who the Cubs hired as the first black coach in Major League Baseball in the early 60s, and is someone who is responsible for uh, pushing Ernie Banks toward the Cubs in the mid-50s when he was manager of the Kansas City Monarchs someone who was responsible for getting Billy Williams not to quit baseball in the minor leagues when he had to deal with incredible racism in the South, someone who signed Lou Brock and man, what a good idea that was. And maybe the rest Uh. of the organization should have listened to him. Someone who signed Lee Smith, Buck O'Neill did amazing things for this organization and is one of the few times I can think of where the Cubs were legitimately ahead of the rest of baseball when it came to race relations. I I think this is a no brainer. Yeah, so I, I will confess to you, Ken, that you have provided me a lot of education. I haven't seen Danny post about this. You've just provided me a lot of education on Buck O'Neill that I didn't know. But you, you, you have, you are now preaching to the converted. But you have awesome. converted me. I think this sounds like a great plan. It sounds like a no-brainer. Um, but the real I, one thing I do know before now is that the Cubs have often been 
the ones dragging their feet um, into integration. Um, I think it sounds like a great idea. I am, I am with you. I am with Danny and I'm with Buck O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. Buck O'Neill, like, can't help but put a smile on your face. And really, that's the best way I can think of to pull us out of the morass of Cubs player development at this point. So just wanted to make sure to throw that out there. But yeah, spread around, retire 53 on Twitter. And when you see someone tweeting it out there, give it a retweet because this is a movement that should catch on. And uh, yeah, honestly, if the Cubs want to do a very easy thing that would make a lot of people happy, retiring 53 makes all the sense in the world to me. It's better than, you know, worshiping our patron saint of reluctant integration. I'm, <laughs> I'm into prioritizing Buck O'Neill. Yes. Oh, God. It's, yeah. Would that be what, John Holland or Phil Wrigley? Uh, <laughs> uh, but either way. All right. Do you have anything to plug while I still have you here? I have nothing to plug. Please check my work. Check out my work on Real Cubs in, or on Cubs Insider, rather. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Tomure, T-H-O-M-U-R-E. Um, I have nothing else to plug. That's, uh, those are two great things. I mean, the great places to go for solid baseball writing and the kind of really great baseball insights we've been talking about for the past hour. So, Ryan, it is a joy to share a first place team with you, my friend. And let's keep sharing that for another month and a half. I'm knocking on wood. I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> is that Travis or Carrie? <laughs>